And as we continue throughout our Lenten journey, may the Lord bless our souls as we bless the holy name of our God who leads us into life, life that is abundant and life that is eternal. Before we read the scripture passage, just a couple of notes. One, uh, the uh, offertory was sung by our choir because the, uh, one of our members of the acapella ensemble uh, was not able to be with us this morning, so we appreciate the choir singing in a different spot. And then um, we wanted to add to the acapella experience of the service by having a service with no lights on. Did you like that? Uh, was that, should I turn them off now? Should we go throughout the entire service with that? Here is the, here is your explanation. Um, there are three panels that control the lights in this room. One at the pulpit, one out there, and one somewhere else. And the only one that works is this one, and this one is not going to work much longer. And so this one is telling us that it is time to replace all three and to upgrade them. And thankfully, our Properties Management Commission is already on the job. They've already scouted this out, and this will be replaced soon. Um, and maybe... Uh, until it does, it will work and it will last. But if for some reason in the next several weeks we go without lights, you'll know why. And we will simply rejoice in the presence of Jesus who is our light, lighting the way even in the darkness. Okay? All right. Very good. Uh, by the way, you did really well when the lights went off, by the way. You, you just kept singing. Way to go. I mean, there is, there is this wonderful spirit about the place as we do this. Okay, our scripture passage is from Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. And it is the account, Luke's account of the temptation of Jesus. I'm just going to read this particular passage, but throughout the message, and I think always when we look at this passage, we keep in mind what happened before and what happens afterwards. Uh, earlier in the passage, uh, earlier in Luke chapter 3, the previous chapter, Jesus is baptized. And then Luke takes a break and describes the genealogy of Jesus and then goes straight into the account of the temptation. And it is important as we think about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness to think of him as coming just out of his baptism. And then in verse uh, 14 of our passage, after the temptations are concluded, uh, Jesus goes straight into his ministry. It is important to think of all three events as connected. Baptism, temptation, beginning of his earthly ministry. Now let's look at the account of his temptation. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during these days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. 
Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let us pray. O Lord, in the rhythm of Jesus' baptism, his temptation, and his entrance into ministry, may we discover a rhythm for ourselves this Lenten season and always as we seek to live lives that are faithful to you, that are modeled on the life of Jesus, that are lived for Jesus, and that spread his love. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. It was lunchtime. All of my family was there. All of my relatives, extended relatives, all four of my grandparents alive at that time, aunts and uncles, cousins. And as with many family gatherings like that, all of our favorite foods were there. Mama and Uh, My mom and Aunt Sandra had pulled out these great dishes. My dad had grilled out the meat on the grill. It was cousins were there. We were having a blast. Was it Thanksgiving? No. Was it Christmas? It wasn't Christmas. Was it a family reunion? It wasn't that. The occasion for this gathering was a celebration of my baptism. It was Sunday lunch in that service that Sunday morning at my home church. I had been baptized to give witness to my faith in Jesus Christ, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I had experienced the presence of God in powerful ways, experienced the warmth of the welcome of my home church, sisters and brothers there. And it was only natural, only appropriate for us as a family to gather together for a feast. I'm guessing that when you were baptized, when someone you love was baptized, chances are there was a feast to follow because baptism is one of the most important moments in our lives and it deserves a celebration. It deserves a feast. Which makes it notable that when Jesus is baptized in John chapter 3, a feast does not follow. Instead, a fast begins. Verse 1 of our passage says this from chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, returned from the Jordan where he had been baptized, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing at all during those days when they were over. And when they were over, he was famished. I got to have Mama's macaroni and cheese. Jesus got nothing. Why is this? why this departure from what we would consider, rightly so, a normal and natural thing to do, to have a feast after something as important as baptism, instead to have a fast, at the end of which Jesus is famished. Well, it's important to remember a rhythm here, a rhythm that Jesus uh, lives out in his earthly life. His baptism is a commissioning, a commissioning for his ministry. His temptation is a preparation for his ministry. Now, he's been preparing for his ministry all of his earthly life, but, but in the wilderness, in the temptations by the devil, it's kind of the final temptation 
after which Jesus will be ready to begin his ministry. Commissioning, preparation through the temptations, and then ministry. Let's think about that commissioning first. Jesus, as the Son of God, eternally existing in relation to the Father and the Spirit, receives a heavenly commissioning when he embraces the will of the Father and leaves the presence of the Father and the Spirit in heaven and enters life on earth in the form of a servant, in the likeness of human flesh, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. There was a heavenly commissioning when God the Son embraces the call to enter into life in God's creation as a human being, fully God, fully human, the mystery of the incarnation, a heavenly commissioning. And then at his baptism, this heavenly commissioning is matched with an earthly commissioning. Jesus does not need to be baptized because of sins to be forgiven. He was without sin. He enters into baptism according to the will of the Father because through this baptism, he embraces his call to be the Messiah, his call to be the Savior of the world, to redeem and to restore God's creation, not through earthly power, but through his sacrificial death on the cross. At his baptism, Jesus embraces his commissioning, heavenly, earthly commissioning are matched. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, fills Jesus in the form of a dove. As God the Son, Jesus has existed throughout all eternity in relationship with the Spirit. But at his baptism, the Holy Spirit indwells fully the incarnate Son of God, fully human, fully God. And also at his baptism, Jesus hears the words of the Father, this is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And in this moment, Jesus is commissioned to enter into his ministry of fulfilling the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so full of the Spirit, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he is tempted over 40 days. He eats nothing. At the end of this time, he is famished. And this temptation is a time of preparation, not a time to prove himself. This temptation is not a time to earn anything from God, to earn God's blessing, it is a time to prepare for his ministry. Jesus has already earned God's blessing. He hasn't earned it, he's been given it at his baptism. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's established. Jesus is loved by the Father, filled by the Spirit. And so his temptations are not about proving himself worthy of that. They are about preparing him for ministry. More on that in just a moment. But before we explore further his temptations, let's see ourselves in this rhythm of commissioning and of preparation and of ministry. 
For all of us, when we are baptized, it is a commissioning service. Now, our commissioning is different than the commissioning of Jesus. Therefore, we don't have to go straight into preparation. We can have a feast. But our baptisms, in addition to being the moment when we profess publicly that Jesus is our Savior, in the moment when we symbolically enter into his death and his resurrection through the waters of baptism, in that moment we also receive our commissioning to serve God the rest of our lives in however God calls us to serve. And that will look different for each of us, but for each of us, our baptisms are a commissioning worthy of a celebration. And then every one of us throughout our lives are constantly in a rhythm of preparation for ministry and of ministry. Those things go on at the same time. We're ministering and we're preparing to minister next. We prepare, we minister. It's a rhythm that Jesus models here. It's a rhythm that we are in for as long as we live. Abigail Hensley, Abigail has been in this rhythm uh, throughout the last, uh, uh, well, a long time, but throughout the last six weeks. She, she's a little bit out of the order that Jesus does it in this passage, passage but it's a wonderful rhythm. Uh, next week, next Sunday, as a part of Youth Sunday, we will commission Abigail for her ministry in the Czech Republic, where she will go and she will immerse herself in the Czech culture and she will learn the language and she will share Jesus with the people that she meets. Next week it will be a commissioning service for her. We will be sending her out with our blessing to do the work that God has called her to do. And prior to this, over 40 days or so, like Jesus, like the season of Lent, Abigail has been in the wilderness of North Carolina, out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere there, and she has been in training. She has been in preparation, not facing temptations like Jesus did, but her preparation is involved learning how to live cross-culturally, uh, learning how to listen, learning how not to judge, learning how to accept things as just different. People do things differently in different places. And then beginning to learn how to learn a new language. Preparation, commissioning next week. And then soon, travel to the Czech Republic to begin ministry. We are entering into a season of preparation. We're already in it, the season of Lent. We are every year preparing in these 40 days plus Sundays to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus is so wonderful, it's so marvelous, it's the most wonderful thing ever. And so we don't just arrive at it uh, in the moment and, and feel like we're ready to celebrate. We need to prepare for that celebration. And part of that preparation is reflecting on the cross of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, confessing our sins, and remembering Holy Week, the last week of the life of Jesus. That's part of our preparation for this Easter. But the Lenten season is also an annual preparation for whatever season of ministry God has next for us as individuals and for us as a church. During the season of Lent, perhaps we don't face temptations like Jesus does in this passage, but we very much have the opportunity through examining our lives, reading God's word, being inspired by each of the writers for our devotional from our church, asking God to prepare us even as we minister now, to prepare us for ministry in the Easter season and beyond. It is a, a beautiful rhythm, 
annual rhythm that we are in now. And the way Jesus handles these temptations gives us some guidance into how to prepare, both to celebrate Easter, but also to prepare for ministry now and beyond. First thing that Jesus teaches us, we've already mentioned it, is that preparation is not about proving ourselves to God. Preparation is not about proving ourselves to God. Lenten disciplines are not about earning anything from God. If you've given up chocolate or coffee or some other thing that you like, if you're able to sustain that fast throughout the Lenten season, rejoice in how good it makes you feel, and that's important. There is something to be said for developing self-confidence and being able to say that I can do this, that's important. Do that. But that's not the main reason for the Lenten fasts. We're not out to prove anything to ourselves. We're not, certainly not out to prove anything to God. Because God loves us even before we do a fast, even if we don't do a fast. God loves us whether we increase our spiritual disciplines in this season or we don't increase our spiritual disciplines in this season. God's love for us is not contingent upon anything we do or do not do. Remember, Jesus hears the words first, you are my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, before he ever even gets to the fast, before he ever even faces the temptations. God's love for him is already established, and as we enter the Lenten season, it is already established through Jesus Christ as we embrace him by faith that we, that you, already are his beloved son, his beloved daughter. And anything that we do faithfully after that doesn't add to the belovedness, and anything that we do that is not anything that we don't say no to does not take away from the belovedness. We are God's beloved, not because we deserve it, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus has done for us, and because of our embrace of Jesus and his love. First thing from Jesus in his temptation, as we enter into our wilderness of Lent, it's a time of preparation. It's not a time where we prove anything to God. It's a time to receive his love. Second thing from Jesus, in the wilderness, he relies on God. And in relying on God and facing the temptations of the devil, he's preparing himself to rely on the Father and the Spirit throughout his ministry. And it seems to me that for us, the Lenten disciplines done not to earn the blessing because we've already received it, the Lenten disciplines that we embrace, both abstaining, fasting from certain things and embracing other practices, these are about, through the Holy Spirit, deepening our reliance on God. It's a season to deepen our trust and our daily reliance upon the Lord. Uh, when we moved to, to Wilmington, um, there was a new, uh, new word that I became familiar with. It was new to me. 
frog is the word. And if you're in the uh, real estate uh, business, you know that in that industry, frog refers to um, finished room over garage. Finished room over garage. And uh, the, the, the history of the city there was interesting real estate-wise. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, the, the lots were bigger. There were more ranch-style houses, and that's what we ended up purchasing. But in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, the lots got much smaller, and the houses, uh, instead of spreading out, went up, which meant there were a lot of newer houses that had frogs, finished room over garage okay so that's happening and at about the same time that I'm learning that new use of the word frog uh, in the church where we were serving uh, in Sanford at the time and this was after we had resigned but before we had moved we were looking for a new car a new house and I'm learning this phrase frog I, I, I'm introduced maybe it's just because I was thinking about the other use of frog I'm introduced to the phrase frog as fully relying on God do you remember that you know, phrases like that kind of have a uh, they come in and they come out in the life of the church some most have a short shelf life some stay around for a long time but but in the early mid 2000s that phrase, I was introduced to that phrase in, in our church at the time, fully relying on God. But before I was introduced to the second use of the phrase, fully relying on God, and after I had learned the first use of the phrase, finish room above, over garage, uh, I, I saw a person in our church with a t-shirt that had frog on the front, F dot, R dot, O dot, G dot. And I'm wondering, okay, this must be a real estate person. You know, they're just trying to sell me fully. And it was only when I saw the back of the shirt that had a picture of a frog and had the words fully relying on God that I figured out what was going on. Again, uh, most of these phrases uh, are used by the Spirit for a short time. Uh, maybe you liked it. Maybe you still like it. Maybe it still works for you. Maybe it's cheesy, cheesy for you. It's okay. But there's something truthful in what that little phrasing of the word is trying to say. And, and that is, that as God's beloved sons and daughters, our lifelong calling and challenge is to live like who we are, which means we live relying upon God. Relying upon Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and not on our own works. Relying on the Father, God the Father, for our identity as beloved sons and daughters. Relying on the Spirit, trusting the Spirit to live and work through us and enable us to do what we're called to do, be who we're called to be. Say yes and no, whether we're children or children who are older. The call of God throughout our lifetimes is to rely upon Jesus, to rely upon God. And as, as in all things, in his temptations, Jesus sets the example. He's famished. The devil says, turn this stone to bread. You can do it. You can do it. It'll end that hunger real quick. And Jesus says no by quoting scripture, 
Jesus says no because in the wilderness he is relying on God. To turn the stone to bread and to meet his hunger would be to stop relying on the Father and on the Spirit. So he says no. And then Jesus in Luke's account takes, uh, is taken up to, the, uh, to see all of the kingdoms of the world and the devil says, I'll give these to you. You can have glory. You can have all the authority. It's mine to give if you'll only worship me. And Jesus says no to this temptation because he's relying on God. Uh, he chooses to receive glory and authority through the cross and not through the shortcut that the devil is offering. And then the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down and the angels will come and they will protect you, they will lift you up, lest you hurt your foot against a stone. And Jesus can do this and God would do this, yes. But Jesus speaks the words of scripture that say, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus chooses to rely on God, not by putting his Father and the Spirit to the test, but through trust. Trust that the way of sacrifice is the way that he is called to live. The temptations in so many ways are about the ways in which Jesus relies upon the Lord. And in facing these temptations, Jesus is given the opportunity to strengthen his trust, to strengthen his reliance upon God. And so we do small things like certain fasts throughout the season of Lent as an opportunity to strengthen our trust our reliance upon God. If we've given up something we love to eat or drink, when that craving comes, we say, Lord, help me to rely on you and say no. We enter into taking on new practices or strengthening practices that have been a part of our lives, such as the devotional, the reading of scripture, prayers each day, service, writing letters, a letter a day to people to bless them. There are endless things that we can do to bless others. But there will be times throughout the 40 days when we won't want to do it, when we'll want to do something else, when we'll want to take a break. And in those times we say, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to rely on you. And if for whatever reason we fall short of our goals, either abstaining from something or embracing something, it's okay. Because it's not about proving ourselves to God. We're already blessed sons and daughters of the Lord. It's about deepening our reliance upon God. Now, to rely on God does not mean that we sit around passively and wait for God to do something for us or through us. We still are called to live very, very active lives. Instead, reliance upon God means the activities that we do come within the context of daily time spent alone with God and regular time spent in fellowship with our sisters and brothers, worshiping in the dark, worshiping without instruments, worshiping with instruments, worshiping in the light. 
we are in this rhythm of doing these things. And then out of this rhythm we go and we seek to serve and to act and to, to fulfill our responsibilities as best we can, asking God to work through us. But that reliance occurring, not through inactivity, but through activity that's done with an awareness of the presence of God with us. We do what we do out of times of prayer and fellowship and study, but also out of an awareness that God is with us, asking God to, to work through the Spirit in whatever it is that we are trying to do. And maybe the season of Lent is that opportunity for you. As you go about doing the things that you do in your normal responsibilities or opportunities for ministry, seeking to be more conscious of the presence of the Spirit working in and through you, and thus deepening your reliance on God. Well, I couldn't go through this sermon without a basketball story, right? Have to, have to. Uh, yesterday, big day for Marshall basketball uh, on a number of levels. We're ending this regular season strong on a win streak. Uh, it was senior day, and so we said thank you to uh, four wonderful seniors. One of the seniors, John Elmore, proposed to his girlfriend before the game. That was a bold move, wasn't it? And she said yes. It, it, was, it was a wonderful moment. And then we proceed to go out and get down 19 to 2, and somehow we come back and win the game. But the story that I want to share for us that connects, I hope, with the message is, is something that Tavian Kinsey did. Uh, he's this wonderful freshman who uh, has like a 77-inch vertical leap. He, really, he doesn't have it that high, but he really can jump. He's, he's a great player, but he's fun to watch. And here's what happened yesterday. He was fouled as he was about to jump and dunk the basketball, and the referee called it an intentional foul. This is an, the sign for an intentional foul. And that means you shoot two free throws from the foul line all by yourself. Typically on a foul shot, you have uh, four players on each side of the lane and th two of them on the outsides are the opposing team and then the two in the middle, excuse me, four are the opposing team, the two in the middle are your teammates. And here's the rhythm, here's just what, it's just what you do as a basketball player. You shoot the first shot, and then you do a handshake, you know, hand clap to your teammates right there and, and the ones behind you. Well, what do you do if you're all by yourself and you're shooting a free throw and you don't have anybody's hands to slap after you make the first one? Well, if you're Tavian Kinsley, this, Kinsley, this is what you do. You do an imaginary hand slap. You do an imaginary hand. So this is what he did. There was, he was all by himself. He shoots the free throw. He makes it. Nobody's there. And he goes, and he goes, just like that. And then he turns around and goes, just like that. I hope somebody asks, I hope some reporter asks him about this and we get to hear the story. If you know the inside story to this someday, please tell me because I'm fascinated as to how he does this. But here's, here's the connection. Stay with me. Trust me. He's still doing what he's supposed to do. He's got a job, and he shoots the free throw. But even though he's all by himself, he's remembering that he's not alone. 
And so to rely on God more and more each day is not to be passive and to simply wait for whatever it is that God's going to do to happen. It's to do what you're supposed to do. It's to do what we're called to do, but to do so with an ever-growing awareness that we are not alone, that God is with us. The Holy Spirit working through us. And so Jesus said his baptism. Here's the words, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he's commissioned to serve in you at your baptisms, at our baptisms. In our hearts have heard the same words and we were commissioned to serve. And if you haven't been baptized, oh, what a joy it will be when you are baptized. And will you talk with me at some point about what that means to give your life to Christ through baptism? At our baptisms, we are commissioned. And throughout our lives, we have this rhythm of preparation and of ministry, of ministry and of preparation. And just as in the wilderness, Jesus is strengthened in his reliance upon God, so in these next weeks, as in as is the case always, but especially these next weeks, we have an opportunity to deepen our reliance upon God, going about what we do, but remembering even more and trusting even more in the presence of Jesus with us through the Holy Spirit. May it be so in these Lenten days, for you, for me, for us. Amen. Let's pray together. Help us to hear, each of us, O oh God. The words that we know are true because of what Jesus did for us, that we are, each of us, your beloved daughter, your beloved son. Assured of this identity, assured of your love, help us then to enter into the disciplines of the season, preparing not only for a faithful celebration of Easter, but for a faithful entry into ministry now and ministry that is to come. And through it all, may we learn to rely more and more on you each day as we give attention to, as we become more aware of, as we tend to your presence with us always. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am resolved, hymn 566, as we sing, I'll stand right here to receive any who would seek to follow the example of Jesus to be baptized. Unlike Jesus, for us, it's a profession of faith in him. Come and make that profession. Or as a follower of Jesus, we invite you to unite with our church, or you may simply need to come forward and to pray. The altar is open as we stand and sing.